Welcome to ESAM's Global Economy Podcast. My name is Fredrik Eriksson and I am joined today by Joan Barata and we are going to talk about emerging regulations in Europe with effects on speech and the political discourse. Uh, Joan is an international expert on issues of freedom of expression and information and who has done great work on the relationship between these freedoms on the one hand and emerging digital and media regulation on the other hand. He's now a senior legal fellow at Justitia's Future of Free Speech Project and previously in his career. John has been, among other things, a principal advisor to Aussies, representative on freedom of the media. And he has worked with many universities and centers like the Stanford's Cyber Policy Center. So, Sean, welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for having me. So I want to start, uh, Sean, by asking you basically what's, what's going on and um, what type of developments that we are seeing in Europe. I think if I preface that a little bit more, I'd say that there are many developments indeed happening in Europe right now that do have an impact on what can be done, what can be said, uh, who can say what and what type of regulations that will have an impact on the big platforms that are the places where many of the debates take place right now. For instance, we have the implementation of the Digital Services Act. Uh, there is a Media Freedom Act in the EU that is now working its way through the EU institutions. And the same goes for a new regulation on transparency and targeting of political advertising. Please p- sort of paint a picture about what's going on and what various regulations aim to achieve. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, first of all, I agree uh, that there's plenty, many, many new things, new regulations, new documents, even if I, I call them this way, are emerging, being adopted, and, and, and so on. Recently, and by recently, me, I mean in the last five years, we already witnessed the adoption of, of very important uh, legal documents. I'm talking about the a new version of the Audiovisual Media Services Directive that uh, for the first time now contemplates partially and only comes to certain aspects, but it already contemplates video sharing platforms such as uh, YouTube. Only a few years ago, also, the, the regulation on terrorist content online was adopted. We also had all the debates um, around the, the very famous copyright directive that triggered, as I said, many, many debates, uh, much, much controversy among, among stakeholders, and it was finally adopted. Of course, the, the, the most important event, the most important development was the, the adoption just a few months ago, and now we are in the process of implementation of the, of the Digital Services Act that you mentioned, this horizontal rule that aims at covering the most relevant aspects of what we can call platform regulation. And now, of course, we are also witnessing the debate around the European Media Freedom Act and the regulation on political advice. Uh, these these are the most important developments when it comes to, let's say, traditional legislation adopted at the EU level. But we also have some other sorts of documents, uh, voluntary self-regulatory documents, if you want to call them this way. For example, the Code of Practice on on this information, on, on, and also let's say the, the sort of voluntary agreement between the Commission and the big platforms on how to tackle illegal content uh, online. So it's a combination of uh, very solid or strong regulation with uh, certain self-regulatory documents and that 
I mean, all of them have uh, characterized a very, very intense uh, five years and a significant change in the way uh, platforms uh, are regulated in the EU. We need to remember the fact, keep in mind the fact that since 2010, we basically had, sorry, since the year 2000, we have the the e-commerce directive uh, that remained untouched and it was the main, basically, the main law regulating these these things and during the last four or five years as i said we, we have seen all these these uh, re- very relevant uh, developments can we distinguish between these type of regulations in different way i mean i suppose the the digital services act is different from say the media freedom act and it that act is different from the regulation on on transparency and targeting and political advertising. So how would you characterize where these different regulations stand, what they're trying to achieve, and if there is sort of, is there overlap between them? Are there similarities or perhaps even conflicts between them in the sense that they are, they may be using different definitions of things or they may lead to implementation problems that that can arise when member states get into trying to anchor these type of regulations in their own environment? Sure. Well, every time you you, you engage in some sort of a regulatory spree, I mean, the, the, the main risk is uh, um, indeed, I mean, as you say, um, having overlaps, contradictions, and or at least, let's say, triggering uh, interpretation issues that at the end of the day will have to be dealt by, by, by the courts. Uh, but um, I would say that the Digital Services Act, despite its its title, it, it's not about digital services in the, in the broad sense of, of the term. It's more about intermediaries. And it's a, a, as I said, the general law that establishes a basic framework of rights and obligations of platforms and platform users, and this is. This is very relevant because the DSA does not define what is legal or what is illegal, but basically the DSA defines how platforms should handle content, how platforms should moderate content, and the rights that users have uh, when it comes to content moderation, when it comes to the decisions that platform takes that might affect their rights. So this is the Digital Services Act. The Media Freedom Act has a wider scope. It aims at covering different types of media, media in the traditional sense of the term, if you wish, I mean, periodic publications, audiovisual services, etc. And also journalists, I would say, media, media actors, and uh, aims at establishing some basic rights at the EU level. Most of these rights are already established at the national level, are already regulated. At, at the national level, but the idea here is to establish a, a common framework. And I would even say that in case uh, member states mm, fall short of, let's say, um, these kind of standards uh, by introducing restrictions or having restrictions to the right to freedom of expression, then the European Union will have, may have an additional instrument to kind of put pressure on this uh, particular state. So we need to look in, I mean, we need to see this uh, Media Freedom Act initiative, particularly through these, these lenses. It also contains some provisions with regards to platforms. 
um, we can talk about these specific provisions. Indeed, um, these provisions are changing. We see different amendments, different versions. Some versions might trigger issues of interpretation or, or let's say, or also consistency uh, with the Digital Services Act, but that, that's a different thing. And also political advertising is about political advertising in general, but also, of course, I mean, a very key aspect here is how political advertising is distributed, is published on online platforms, because this is, this is the area where, I mean, the most important issues are at the EU level, right? the dissemination of disinformation, propaganda, using not, perhaps not using traditional media, but uh, making use of platforms to easily uh, disseminate uh, certain types of content, particularly during election periods. So this is a little bit what we have on the table now, different types of laws with different objects, but uh, of course, I mean, there are some coincidences and, and overlaps, as you say. So am I right in thinking that one way to categorize these type of regulations would, would be to say that, well, on the one hand, you have media freedom type of policies, which seems to go a little bit more to the fundamentals of uh, the um, basic rights and civil liberties that most countries have enshrined, and of course, of course, is represented in, in European law as well. But then you have the Digital Services Act and the Political Advertising Act, which seems to be less occupied with trying to define what should be sort of legal or what should be not legal to express online. And it's more sort of categorized as regulations that look into the actual services composition of of different platform services. So meaning that it's it's not regulations that says you cannot do this or you cannot do that, but it's based on categorizing, for instance, political advertisement, political advertising as a service, and then they go in to regulate the actual service rather than the content of what is going to be said in the advertisement. Yeah, indeed. Well, that's that's the new approach that is also, I mean, determined by the type of competencies that the European Union has. So the, the European Union is safe. Uh, when it regulates services, uh, because it's about uh, I mean, go building the, the internal market and uh, facilitating the freedom of establishment, uh, and the free circulation of, of services, so on, so on and so forth. And it is in this context when then we have different types of, of rules, including the Media Freedom Act. And one of the main justifications of the Media Freedom Act is to say, well, we need to have some common rules at the EU level when it comes to the provision of media services, because at the end of the day, media services also have an economic uh, dimension. So we need to make sure that uh, they can services can be provided on a cross-border basis uh, without having major trouble of uh, very important differences between the different legal systems. So, so that's 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 uh, the, the 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 typical EU EU approach. But this being said, it is true that, for example, the Media Freedom Act is more about media freedom. It's about protecting journalists, and it's also about protecting media pluralism, about preventing certain types of media concentrations that might affect media pluralism. And on the other hand, what we see at the level of the DSA, at the level 
of the regulation of political advertising is more of a, let's say, a focus that pays more attention to possible harms and how to prevent these harms by introducing obligations, by imposing obligations on platforms. And the big issue here is considering and accepting the fact that some harms need to be tackled, whether the actual implementation of these obligations by platforms may may have the indirect effect of uh, creating restrictions on the right to freedom of expression. In other words, if we are telling a platform on very vague, vague, broad terms, you need to mitigate harms, you need to avoid harms, otherwise you may face some responsibilities. There's a risk that a platform then might adopt measures to limit the presence of certain types of content, and these measures may have an impact on freedom of expression. That's that's the way I would put. All right, very good. So let's um, move on and discuss some of the concerns that you have written about. For instance, you had a, uh, an essay published by the London School of Economics a couple of months ago, which went into this regulation that we now are discussed on transparency and political advertising. And in that blog, you point to the risk that we are in this regulatory development right now, developing sort of concepts and definition of what constitute political speech and attempts to influence political political elections that catch the net a bit too wide and that we, as a consequence of it, are going to have a lot of rules and bureaucracy uh, on the platforms when it comes to opinions, expressions, and, and other things that, for instance, NGOs or think tanks like, like Think Tank I run put out on social media. Can you sort of tell us a little bit more about the concerns that you've had about this specific regulation? Sure. I mean, there are two main areas, I would say, for concern. The first one is at the level of the definition of political advertising. We, we already have uh, definitions of political advertising at, at the national level. There's a very clear link between the existence of, say, a political organization, basically a political party who pays a media outlet in general to let's say, disseminate certain type of content that we can call political political propaganda. That's, that's the usual definition that we find at, at the national level. A very, very, let's say, clear approach when it comes to who generates the message, and even if it is the intention of the message, the existence of a remuneration, and then a platform, some sort of a media platform that facilitates the, the dissemination of, of the message. Uh, in this in this regulation, what we basically find is a very broad definition of political advertising where the nature of the actor is not relevant anymore. Anyone can end up being the disseminator of a political message in the sense of, of this, uh, this regulation. And uh, the second thing is that also the, the intention of the message is described in very broad terms as well, in the sense that any sort of political message that has the intention of having some influence on the formation of the public opinion 
it is considered to be political advertising. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that the requirement of remuneration is very clear in, in, in um, let's say, definitions of political advertising at the national level. Here in this proposal, it's not clear at all. So this means that, and this is something that has been declared, I mean, ac <laughs> accepted by by representatives of the of the European uh, Commission in, in events that I have attend uh, I have attended. They said, "Well, we want to have a very very broad, open, very open definition of political advertising, so that we can subject uh, political messages to tighter controls, so that we can make sure that we can control the messages that are circulating during an election period to make sure." that nothing inappropriate in the sense of propaganda, in the sense of dis uh, disinformation, is being di disseminated. So that's, that's the first thing. Uh, and the second thing is that also this, this regulation establishes a very important responsibilities, on, on, puts very important responsibilities on the shoulders of platforms to discern, to determine at some point when a certain type of message is political advertising, to adopt measures, uh, including particularly labeling, labeling it, but if there's a report from a third party, and here we shouldn't exclude the malicious actors, then the platform may have to take measures, uh, including taking down that specific piece of content. Um, in light of all these things that I have just presented in, in a very, very uh, summarized manner, I mean, it is obvious that the risks for freedom of expression, for political speech, are, are are very high. I mean, we need to take into account that according to, to international standards, and here we're talking not only about, let's say, the, 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 the general human rights treaties at the, at the universal level, at the UN level, but also you know, the standards of the Council of Europe, and the, the case law of the European Court of Human Rights, they, they establish that political speech is the most protected form of speech. And in this case, now with this regulation, political speech might become the most strictly regulated, controlled form of speech in the European Union. Uh, I understand the intentions behind that. I understand the fears that have uh, triggered this kind of approach, but I don't believe that this is consistent with the liberal model of uh, democracies that, that we have uh, in, the, in the European Union. So um, this is a matter of uh, very much concern. Indeed. Um, let's um, come back to that issue in a while. I just want to quiz you first, one. So do I understand this correctly then? Um, and using, for instance, one of the examples that you bring up in this essay that I was referring to, which is basically that if, if for instance, you have a political candidate who has published a book uh, ahead of an election and you have, for instance, a company like Amazon that selling this book or that make an advertisement for this book or that you have a publisher who makes advertisements for this book using social media, that would be something that could be caught up in the net of this regulation, right? That what we would call sort of pretty basic liberties for publishers or for someone who is trying to plug something they've written or said that should be considered to be sort of pretty obvious that it should be allowed to do. Another example could be, for instance, that if uh, I can take my, myself as an example, if I and my think tank would try to market a report that we have published ahead of uh, the European Parliament election, the report is not about the 
election itself or doesn't take a stand on the election or doesn't support any political candidate, but it's trying to draw attention to specific issues. Is that something that could be covered as well if that report then is being, we're using sort of established platforms in order to market the report and trying to get people to read it? Indeed, you are absolutely right. I mean, these, these are two very good examples. Even this interview could be seen as political advertising because here we are talking about something that is included in the definition. We are talking about, oh, we are trying to have some influence in the way a certain legislative uh, initiative ends up, let's say, or oh, the, the, the way, the, the final outcome, let's say, of a, of a political uh, initiative or a legislative initiative. So this could be seen also, I mean, this podcast that, that is suggesting a certain direction when it comes to the, the media freedom and that criticizes a certain aspect of the freedom, then uh, you, you just are asking questions, but I'm saying that uh, certain articles of the European Media Freedom Act uh, should be drafted in a certain way. This could be seen and labeled as political advertising because here I'm now, I'm modest, very modest way, but I'm trying to, to have a say uh, on the way uh, certain law should, should look like. So, so, I mean, this is extremely uh, dangerous in this sense because I mean, any, any form of uh, political discussion or a discussion even on legal initiatives that are now being discussed in the parliament and expressing a certain opinion on, on the way they should be drafted, of course, may, may count depending on how you look and how you you, you interpret the, the, the definition, um, they, they might be considered political advertising. So that's, that's exactly, I mean, the, the, the kind of problem that I'm, I'm trying to express here, even though even if, let's say, by, by doing it, I might be engaging in political advertising, precisely. And what's the background to, in the first place, the European Commission wanting to go down this particular direction? I mean, I can, I can see the sort of the background or the context, for instance, when it comes to the Digital Services Act or the Media Freedom Act. You talked initially about different codes of conduct that have existed, different initiatives and documents that have been established, for instance, to deal with people who are using platforms to illegal purposes, and that can be terrorism, child pornography, or other things. But but now we're talking about something else, which seems much less connected to obvious illegal activities that have been information and data has been shared on platform. This is much more about the democratic process in itself. So where where does the intention to try to regulate political advertisements come from? Is it sort of does it draw on more uh, geopolitics and fears of disinformation campaigns coming from from uh, foreign governments that don't wish as well? Or is it something something else going on here? Indeed, I, I think that, that you, you are pointing to, to the right direction. Um, uh, we need to, to be in mind the fact that in one year we'll be having elections uh, at the EU level, um, and there's some concern with regards to possible influence, uh, the possible attacks uh, in the form of uh, foreign propaganda from, from countries, uh, third countries, non-EU countries. And possible operations aiming at uh, creating some uh, chaos uh, when it 
comes to the dissemination of information, fake news, uh, when it comes to, to, to candidates, so on and so forth. Um, but the problem here is that, I mean, I, I understand that this might be an issue, but we also need to understand that this issue is completely different from the other issues that you have just mentioned. Here, we are not talking about illegal content. I mean, disinformation is harmful. Uh, disinformation is something that needs to be tackled within a democratic system, but disinformation is not illegal as such. Fake news are not illegal as such, and it would be incompatible with human rights law to have um, a law saying that disseminating disinformation is an illegal act that needs to be punished. And the reason why this shouldn't be made illegal is because uh, then we would put in the hands of a judge put in the hands of a state regulator the power to determine what is true and what is false, which would be extremely, extremely dangerous. So, I mean, this kind of, this, this regulation tries to tackle the issue of disinformation without banning disinformation as such, but on the other hand, by introducing very important controls and restrictions to the dissemination of political speech in general, which at the end of the day can be as harmful as just banning disinformation, just adopting a general ban on disinformation. But this indeed needs to be understood within the current geopolitical context, within the context of these allegations, different elections that have already taken place, uh, of manipulation, uh, of distortion uh, in the formation of the public opinions. And this is, in a way, aligned with measure that I didn't, I didn't mention, but uh, I think it deserves also some attention. The regulation that was adopted uh, some, some months ago, perhaps a year already, by uh, the European Council, banning certain television channels, banning certain, the dissemination of certain types of content coming from Russia, in the context of the of the European Union, and that was a clear ban that was also, honestly, I believe, very, very uh, controversial, very, very sensitive. But I think that this regulation, in a way, is inspired by by the same fears and probably by by the same reasons. We were talking uh, just before we started, John, um, about I was giving you the example that I have, uh, for instance, friends in India. Uh, that are concerned about the example that Europe is establishing, not necessarily with this particular regulation, but with uh, media and platform regulations more generally when it comes to how governments can act vis-a-vis platforms when it comes to content and especially political speech. And the, the concern sort of my friends are partly that the example coming from Europe now when it's being used in a different institutional context, may actually have very adverse consequences for uh, not just for what you can do online more specifically, but also to the general culture of openness uh, in the country, that it may lead to sort of a culture of suppression that is going to have a detrimental consequence on pluralism and other type of values that we usually associate with democracy. So how do you how do you view the international context for it? Are we seeing a development where it's Europe and perhaps just a few countries that are moving ahead with it, or are there many countries that are trying to establish similar kind of legislations 
what about the consequences of using uh, a European style approach to it if you introduce it in an institutional context that may be different from Europe when it comes to the general culture of, of openness type of issues? Yeah, I think that at this point you are witnessing a general movement in many, many different countries and regions of the world trying to regulate the world of online platforms. And we see examples, clear examples in India. Also, uh, we saw uh, uh, many years ago already a law on, on fake news in, in Malaysia, talking also of Africa, for example, in Nigeria, and now also in Brazil, for example. In the in the past, I mean, in two decades ago, perhaps the, the example that was followed was the example of the United States, particularly Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act that was seen as some sort of a, the first uh, law trying to, to regulate the liability of online platforms, establishing some sort of a, a regime for, for this kind of activity. Then we had the e-commerce directive that was, in a way, following some of the main principles already established in the in the United States. But recently, of course, I mean, Europe has, has taken the lead because Europe has been very active as as we, we said earlier, and also at the national level. I mean, we need to take into account that, for example, there are studies that, that say that the NetDG, that was the law that was adopted five or six years ago by, by Germany to, to regulate online platforms and to force them to take down illegal content, the, the NetDG was, was the source of inspiration of uh, dozens of authoritarian governments in several parts of the world, tweaking of misinterpreting provisions and therefore creating uh, very powerful tools to control uh, online speech. And now we have a similar concern when it comes to, to the DSA. The DSA is seen uh, in, in many aspects of very legislation that introduces protections for, for users, uh, that introduces uh, very important and relevant obligations for platforms in terms of transparency, accountability, responsibility, so on and so forth. But now what we see is that several countries are adopting this approach, this general idea of perhaps what we can call the duty of care, the due diligence the, to, to impose I mean, obligations on, on platforms to monitor certain types of, of speech, to, to kind of articulate uh, systems of censorship by, by proxy, uh, which, of course, are extremely dangerous. I think that it is very important now to, to properly explain what the DSA is and what the DSA is not, so that we can make sure that the DSA is not, does not become an excuse for, for authoritarian regimes to say, well, look, we are doing exactly the same the European Union is doing, so why are you criticizing us? This is about the letter of, of the law, but also in terms of the institutional context, the, 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 the way the rule of law is, is understood and enforced, the checks and balances, etc. We not we cannot compare the, the EU system to with other systems in the world that are just different, and probably uh, some of the safeguards, uh, some of the guardrails may work at the EU level, but don't work at the, in, in other countries. So I think that this is a matter for for concern. We have seen already in the past, I said that with the NetCG, but also with the famous right to be forgotten, the way 
the the, the so-called right to be forgotten was incorporated into legislation of countries like Russia and that showed exactly how let's say a well a well-intended regulation at the EU level can be completely twisted based on the interests of authoritarian regimes. So this is something that definitely needs to be followed. Again, nowadays we see very important um, developments in India that are very, very worrying when it comes to freedom of expression. But also Lula's government in Brazil is trying to push forward a law that has some elements, some language from the DSA but that can be uh, enforced in, in very dangerous, very dangerous ways, I believe, even if it is based on good intentions uh, to, to prevent certain types of speech uh, from, from being disseminated in the, in the country based also on the, on the experience of the, of the very recent elections uh, in the country. So this is a very complex debate, very sensitive debate, and I think that uh, we need to talk more about these matters, not only within European Union, but also beyond its borders. Indeed, no, and it goes to the heart of um, the democratic culture and the institutions we have in order to define exactly what rights we have as uh, individual citizens with rights in different countries. So there's there's one more issue I wanted to ask you, Joan. Um, I know time, time is, is running fast when you're having fun, and we're already uh, getting close to the end time for this podcast. There is one, one issue which I've been thinking about, and it's, it's basically about, so if we want to find a better approach, or at least an approach where we can balance some of these developments we've seen in Europe with an overarching framework which avoids consequences on freedom of expression and information, what, what, what that type of approach would look like. It seems to me that we're talking about three different levels of development, so levels of policies here. We have firstly more fundamental rights policies, and um, you mentioned previously that many countries in the EU already have uh, established institutions for how to make these rights real for individuals living in these countries. Most countries have, for instance, different type of institutions that deal with um, media freedoms, with uh, publishing freedoms, and they may differ a bit from country to country, but they, they do exist there. We have another level of policy which seems to be more about sort of the specific content in EU regulations where the sort of the competence of EU forces European Commission and others to go very much for the economic aspects of of policies when when these things come up. So, DSA and the political advertising regulation deals with the services aspect of it rather than the content, which is about freedom of speech and, and political speech. And then there is a third consequence, which I'm also interested in, which is sort of basically the reaction to these policies that comes from the platforms that um, get new obligation under them. I know, for instance, that there was a debate ahead of the Digital Services Act that the risk of, um, of being fined, um, the risk of having very huge fines, as, as the examples from NetsDG in Germany also pointed to, would lead many platforms to censor more than is necessary in order to make sure that they are not going to be pushing close to the border of 
what can be constituted as legal or illegal within a certain country. And another risk that was that was pointed to then was also that many of these platforms may, even if they have the economic muscles in order to monitor countries uh, individually, it's also the case that if if something is being deemed as illegal or something that needs to be monitored or censored in one country, it may be easier to to do it, the same thing in another country as well, even if that country doesn't have the same sensitivities when it comes to what constitutes legal speech. So in this case, I mean, the different difference, for instance, on what you can say about different political regimes in the past, um, the differences between Germany and other parts of, of Europe. There are other countries now who are beginning to curtail freedom of expression on some issues. And and is there a risk here that these curtailments that happens in one country will spill over to other countries? I think that's that's really what I'm, I'm, I'm asking for here. So three levels of different policy developments. Am I right in thinking that we perhaps need to do something on all of them? Or is it something we need to focus on more specifically? Well, indeed, I mean, I, I think that uh, your analysis is, is, is quite good and quite comprehensive of, of what we have on the table. Uh, first of all, when it comes to, to, to the national level, we, we need to acknowledge that there are issues in some EU member states, issues that need to be properly addressed. And I don't think that some EU member states are fit to implement at the national level the very important provisions that now have been adopted without seriously risking the, the, the right to freedom of, of expression. Which is illegal in, in Hungary, and as you were saying, then this means that platforms that operate in Hungary may have to, to, to accept this definition of what is legal, what is illegal, uh, is completely different from, from what is illegal in countries like Sweden, or Finland, or uh, France, or, or, or all their countries. Here we have different approaches. So so first of all, we have problems at the, at the level of EU member states that need to be properly addressed. Some may say, well, if we have a general law, this may help to, to push them, but that, that is not 100% clear to me that this, this, this would be the, the, the solution. The other thing is that, um, again, I mean, this kind of uh, EU legislation requires to have in place very solid national institutes institutions, um, independent regulatory bodies, independent judges, and this is also an issue in, in several member member states. So this is something that that cannot be that cannot be neglected at, at this point. The second thing is that when it comes to to platforms, also here we need to 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 bear in mind that at some point the big platforms were not radically against the adoption of the of the DSA. Platforms were saying, well, now we are under much political pressure, and now we need to have something that tells us what to do and what not to do. Because basically, now this means that if a platform is accused of over censoring speech, then it is far easier for them to say, sorry, I mean, I'm trying to do the best that I can to, to, to properly uh, enforce the DSA. So I prefer to err on the side of caution. And then, of course, the Commission can tell me I'm going too far, then, well, I will, I will refrain from going that far. But but uh, now, I mean, it's not me. It's not my sole responsibility. Now, here I am in Europe, and I need to comply. I need to, to 
respect, I need to incorporate certain procedures that in the past uh, uh, I didn't. So here, now uh, platforms in a way have got some additional legitimacy to do certain things because now it is much easier to say, look, I mean, this is about respecting legislation. This is about enforcing legislation as much as we can. Uh, it is not anymore our, our autonomy to decide exactly how, how to moderate the other thing that we need to take into account is that this might also trigger some some entry barriers uh, because I mean the the investments that are required in order to comply with uh, certain types of requirements uh, might create I would say as a, as I said an entry barrier because this requires investments this re- requires personnel this requires having people doing content moderation assessing risk mitigating risk etc etc so this may also have an impact when it comes to uh, the, the 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 emergence of new European actors that might be willing to to operate in the in the market of, of digital services. This is something also that needs to be needs to be taken into account. But in general, also my reflection would be that we need to slow down because the, 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 there are so many things going on. There are so many norms that may have to a certain extent contradictory approaches in approaches in some in some cases so i think that it now what what is really important that now we have the dsa on the table the dsa has instruments that uh, should allow us to deal with disinformation to to deal with risks associated to elections to better protect freedoms of those who 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 are present online so there are plenty of things that still need to be tested at the level of, of the DSA. Uh, so some deference must be given, must be exercised uh, towards uh, the DSA and its implementation process. And we need to be more careful when uh, introducing provisions in media freedom. I think that the media freedom act might be good in the sense of reaffirming certain rights and principles that are already there at the national level, even at the level of the case of the European Court of Human Rights, and when it comes to political advertising, I think that this is, this is a regulation that is extremely dangerous, and I think that it would be much better to, to reconsider it and to explore how the DSA, currently in, in the process of implementation, can already help in dealing with the kind of harms that they are trying to prevent by adopting, again, a different and additional rule that might seriously affect uh, political speech. So, uh, that is my, my general reflection when it comes to the to the things that, that, that you mentioned that are very broad topics and would deserve each of them uh, uh, a podcast. Yes, indeed. No, we could have uh, continued for several hours just to go through them more specifically. But, but also thank you for bringing up that particular element also on the... Um, what I've also found to be sort of a pretty strange role that many of the big platforms plays in the policy discussions that are emerging, where there is a there's a caricature which suggests that many of these platforms are against um, a lot of the regulations that come. My experience is, is, is different. Even if they may have some specific concerns, they are generally in favor of, of having regulations, partly because as one executive or platform once told me, they can always... If you're big, you can always turn a regulation into a currency that you can use in order to avoid new competition to come up. 
And what we've seen lately and what also came from came out of the conference that I attended a couple of weeks ago, which is that um, many of these social media platforms, there may be differences between them, but generally speaking, it's not of great commercial value for them to have a lot of problems that emerge from difficulties around defining what can be said and what cannot be said on a platform. The most commercial value and what users are valuing the most are going to be pretty uncontroversial stuff like cute kittens and getting information about what your uh, relatives had for dinner yesterday. And if there is regulation which is basically prompting them to over-define exactly what new obligations that will be put on them, they are going to use that in order to establish rules that may not be uh, good for a healthy, good public discourse, democratic discourse online. And I, I believe that to be an important aspect that needs to be brought into the discussion, that the marriage between regulation and incumbent uh, giants, that, that may lead to some very bad consequences for uh, the culture of, of, of debates. Indeed, and also you need to take into account that most probably um, Europe will be creating uh, when it comes to platforms, the, the standards that platforms will apply at the global level, because it doesn't make sense to have one standard for the European Union and all the standards for all the parts of the world. So in as much as now platforms will have to make huge investments to align their practices with the, the DSA and the, and the, the, the requirements that are there, that are there uh, I, I understand that this may also affect the way content is moderated in other in other regions of of the world. This which this means that the, of course, I mean the the, the DSA. You no, know, and not only the DSA, but what the, the the definitions of what is legal, what is illegal at the EU level, and the number of the EU member states will definitely have. Um, extraterritorial effects will be applied in territories beyond the European. Indeed, indeed. Well, uh, Sean, I think that's going to be the final word um, in this podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to sharing your your analysis and your views with us. Um, let me also commend you on the high quality of the work that you're doing and hope to see a lot of more essays and papers from you addressing these issues in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for your words and thanks for this very exciting and very very interesting discussion stimulating discussion thank you